Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, lived a knight and a dragon. The dragon had three heads with three different names. They were called me, mine, and more. The knight knew the danger this dragon posed, but no one in this land believed it could harm them. The people ignored the beast, unaware that every day it was growing in strength and devastating power, until one day it could be ignored no longer. The dragon attacked. It burnt down their houses and destroyed their village. The knight knew what he must do. Get the adrenaline going a little bit, right? Well, this weekend we begin a new series with a much longer title than we're accustomed to around here. Slaying the three-headed dragon, the God of me, the God of more, the God of mine. And uh, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. Uh, everyone at all seven of our locations. Um, excited about what God's doing at National Community Church, and if you're new, you, you're coming at the right time, because new series, uh, new semester of small groups, and so lots of opportunities to begin to uh, connect with people, and so we encourage you to get plugged in. Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to dive in there in just a moment. Let me take a minute to frame this series. Uh, Here's the bottom line. I want to talk about how you can win the battle against temptation. But I know that some of you are here and you're not ready to do that. And I can't make you do it and I can't do it for you. You have to want it. And the truth is you have to want it pretty bad because it is a battle. But I also believe that if you're sick of sin in your life, if you're sick of compromise, if you're sick of making some of the same mistakes over and over again, if you're sick of two steps forward, one step back, if you want to genuinely live a life that actually honors God, then I think we're going to talk about some things that can help you do that. But you've got a mean business. And you've got to get down to business. And so this is going to be a very practical series. Um, I don't have any mime routines planned, no dances, no musical instruments, you know, human tricks, nothing, okay? This is going to be kind of straight up teaching. And if you can take some notes and kind of take this to heart, then here's what I believe. I'm going to save you some headaches and some heartaches. Now, you need to know that this is coming from a pretty deep place in my heart. It was just a couple of weeks ago that I learned that a pastor friend of mine had to resign his church because of a moral failure, and I cried because I love this guy. I love his family, and I love his church, 
He told me about what happened, and here's the deal. He's confessed, and he's repented, and God is in the process of restoring him and restoring his marriage. But I promise you this, he would do anything. If he could go back and undo what he did. He would do anything. And isn't that the way it is with sin? When we give in to temptation, we always regret it later. Well, listen, can we do something about it now? Here's the spirit, the spirit in which I want to share this series. It's really more than a sermon. Would you receive this? as a prayer for you, because you know me, if you've been around long enough that, listen, we're not about the beat down, we're not about guilt trips, we're not about even focusing on the past, and the truth is, I don't know anybody who hasn't lost some battles against pride and lust and greed. All of us are scarred, the Bible says it, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same place, we're all sinners in need of the Savior. But I want to talk about some things that can maybe, in honoring our Lord and Savior, keep us from some of those headaches and heartaches. And so this is a prayer. In fact, it's the Lord's Prayer. Remember the end of that prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So for the next half hour, I want to pray by preaching or preach by praying or whatever you call it. And so let's go ahead and dive in. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of sufferings. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, 
firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's unpack this passage together. Now, I want to start with the second half first, and we're going to work our way backwards. Verse number eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. You need to know up front that there is a very real enemy who wants to take you down and take you out. And sometimes we act as if that's imaginary. It's not. And it's naive to think that he is not actively engaged as your enemy with devices and schemes and strategies to neutralize you spiritually, to rob your joy, and to take away your testimony. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you out. Now, that doesn't need to scare you, but you need to know that you're prey and that he is a roaring lion, that he is prowling around. He comes to seek, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 is very explicit. That is his objective. Good news is Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But these two things are diametrically opposed to each other. He is looking for opportunities to tempt you. In fact, his name is the tempter. And you can see it in Luke 4.13. You remember Jesus is led out in the wilderness and there are three temptations, 40 days he fasts. And uh, I love the, the uh, uh, sometimes when the Bible states the obvious, he was hungry. Ha, you're kidding. Wow. After 40 days, I guess you would be. And do you remember the first temptation? The tempter said, why don't you just turn these, why don't you reveal your power by turning these stones into bread? Oh, man, that's below the belt. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he hit him where it hurt, and that's what he does. He's opportunistic. And then at the very end of that, do you remember what it says? It says that, um, that he left him until an opportune time. And so... We've got to be alert. That's what Peter is saying here. Be alert and of sober mind. Now, this weekend, we kick off a new NFL season. Oh, I love it. Life is good. Um, Pulled out my jersey on Thursday. Don't hate me, my Super Bowl 45 Packers jersey. (laughs) Now that some of you are no longer listening to me. Um, and the first game didn't disappoint if you watched it, along with 27.2 other million people. Um, and I, I like the first game of the season. And so, you know, Sunday, Monday night, I, I like the first game because there are always surprises. There are things that, that it, the first week is unpredictable. And uh, here's why. Because you don't have any film on the other team. Now, the technical terminology for that is unscouted looks. In other words, the other team, their offense and defense, they have not showed what they do in preseason. And so there are blitzes, there are schemes, there are plays that are unscouted looks, and and it kind of catches the opponent off guard. Are, Are you still with me? 
Now, here's some good news. The enemy, our enemy, doesn't have any unscouted looks. Um, we have thousands of situations over thousands of years. We have so much film on the enemy that nothing should really take us by surprise. I mean, we know what he does. We know the way he acts. Nothing has really changed. Now, the truth is with the advent of technology, we have innovated new ways of sinning. But those particular forms of sin, which weren't possible even 20 or 30 years ago, um, they, they still have the same root cause. I mean, so really it hasn't changed. There are just kind of new ways, new devices, uh, if you will. So what we need to do is we need to understand his tendencies and his strategies. Are you still with me? We need to scout the enemy and understand the way that he is playing the temptation game. Now, one of the enemy's names is the father of lies, but rarely are they bold-faced lies. He's an angel of light, and so the truth is, more often than not, they're half-truths. They're white lies. In fact, he'll often quote Scripture in Scripture to those who know Scripture in an attempt to kind of twist it just enough so that the truth isn't the truth. His primary dialect is half-truth. And he usually isn't so bold or blunt as to be detected as lying, but what he wants to do is get you to question God. Now, if you go all the way back, the first film that we have on the enemy is the Garden of Eden, and there's an interaction between uh, the serpent and Eve. And notice uh, what the enemy says. Did God really say that you must not eat any of the fruit of the garden. So just kind of planting that seed of doubt, raising a question. And, you know, Eve, I guess she gets this right. Of course, we may eat it. But then look at this classic temptation technique. Are you ready for this? Please take notes. Remember it. Write it down. Because, I mean, this is, this is the first one. This is the big one. Here's what What the enemy does, the father of lies gets Eve to focus what? Not on the thousands of trees, the fruit of which she could eat with all of the smells and flavor. I mean, exotic, like seriously, we're talking about a buffet. There's only one thing you can't eat. Everything else tastes great. What does he do? By asking the question, There is a subtle shift in focus, and what does she want? She wants what she can't have. And covetousness is conceived in the spirit. Now, that's not sinful, but then she acts on that, and that is. Listen, it's amazing how many of the enemy's ploys simply have to do with focus, Now, stick with me, track with me, because I I think this will become apparent. Um, Several years ago, a study was done uh, with college students that consisted of two questions. Number one, how happy are you? Number two, how many dates have you had in the last month? Study found a weak correlation between those two things. Then the researchers Flip the questions. How many dates have you had in the last month? How happy are you? 
all those tricky researchers. What did they do? They planted a seed. They kind of engineered the questions in a way that would influence the reticular activating system so that those students, some of them, would become focused on how many dates they have not had in the last month and where before they were perfectly content. Now that seed of kind of discontent, and, and psychologists call this the focusing illusion. Your focus determines your reality. And it's very interesting to me how much of the Bible has to do with shifting focus. Um, Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's a focus thing. Like you better keep focused on the person of Jesus. Or what about Philippians 4? If anything is good or right or pure or just, think about such things. It's about focusing on those things, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, give thanks in all circumstances. Can I just ask, what are you focused on? Um, One of our family values is your focus determines your reality. I'm saying this to my kids all the time and reminding myself all the time. What am I focused on? You know, almost everybody that has an affair, does so because they buy into a lie that the grass is greener in another part of the garden, specifically right around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they buy into two other lies. One is that you can cheat and not get caught. And the other is that you can cheat and not get hurt. Okay, is there anybody that really believes that? Seriously? I mean, it's absolutely irrational. And then we think, well, we're going to be the exception to that ruler. Man, I can just kind of go on the side over here, and it's not no one's going to get hurt because no one's going to know about it. Man, you are, you are lying to yourself, and you will get caught, and someone will get hurt. And yet, we have all these headaches and heartaches because we're just naive and ignorant we don't understand that there is an enemy who is lying to us. You know how it starts? He just wants us to make small compromises. That's it. That's all. The Bible says, do not give the enemy a foothold. Now, you can't give someone a foothold if you don't get too close. Like, if I'm, if I'm, like I guess if you're coming right here, like, I, mean, I guess you get a foothold. I don't know if you're a step back a little bit farther reach. I don't know if I'm several steps back. God, I don't know. Maybe then the enemy can't reach me. And yet there is this human nature to get as close to that tree of the knowledge of good. How close can I get, but not cross that line? And we walk right into the traps of the enemy. Okay, now, what I'm trying to say is we better be alert and sober-minded. We better be aware that there is an enemy. We better understand those strategies and tendencies. And I think part of it, you got, it's just, you got to know yourself. You got to know, if you really took the time to evaluate your sinful patterns, those occasions where you give in a temptation, you would be shocked at how predictable you are. At the situations that you walk into time and time again, 
that aren't sinful, but put you in proximity to something that is tempting to you instead of being proactive and staying, you know, 10 feet away. And so what we've got to do in being alert is just have this awareness. Okay, what's going on? And especially as it relates to pride and lust and greed. Now, I better get this out of the way. Um, I've not slayed any of these. Well, I slayed them. But the problem with the three-headed dragon, got, each of them have nine lives. Drive you crazy, won't it? I got him. Oh, he's back. What's up with that? Because he just keeps coming back and back and back. I mean, I just think in the spirit of being as helpful as I can be and as confessional as I can, this week, there was a little situation in our family where I had to step into my fathering role and provide a little correction for one of my children. My wife came to me afterwards, after a conversation with my son. Parents, you know, like, it sure helps that there's two of you, because one of you is messing up all the time. (laughs) Like, you need the other one, like, let me take over. let Let me take over. And she very gracefully said, you know what? I think while what you shared was right, it was shared in a spirit of pride, and I knew it. And it's why, it's why, and when you do that, your children won't receive it, will they? See, because it's all about the spirit in which things are shared. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but oh, if I could pray one thing for us, oh, a spirit of humility. And, and it says, clothe us in humility. In fact, we'll get there. But here's what I believe. When you have a spirit of pride, it, it naturally, people want to resist you. In some cases, retaliate. But if you have the spirit of humility, you will be received. What you say, not always, but over time, that spirit of humility, I promise you this, over time, the spirit of humility never loses to the spirit of pride, ever. Oh, but what if someone takes advantage of me and I'm acting in humility? Listen, but God will honor it. Like, who are you more concerned about? someone might take advantage of you or almighty God might honor it. Like, okay, I'm going to choose the God honoring it piece. And so I'm going to function in humility to the best of my ability. I don't mind. But I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. You know, it's interesting. I just, stream of consciousness, but at our Saturday night Ebenezer service, the moment where campus pastor, Pastor Mike said, you know, if you feel like you want to kneel uh, in worship, you can do that. And, you know, some people kneeled and some didn't. And, and that, that there's no measurement whatsoever of how holy or sanctified someone is based on whether they kneeled or not. But here's what I know for sure, because I know me. That some of you didn't kneel, not because you didn't want to kneel before God, but because you were worried about the person next to you. And then when that person next to you kneeled, then you were worrying about, well, I wonder if they're going to think I'm kneeling because they're kneeling. And then what happens is it's like these crazy mind games start happening and your spirit gets so discombobulated. It's like, come on now, just kneel before God. If he's working on you, then just get on your knees and swallow your pride. Say, you know what? It's a little embarrassing. I don't like kneeling. Well, good. It's a good thing for you to do. See, what I'm talking about 
is a battle that rages constantly. Someone offends you. Are you going to react in pride or humility? You're going after a dream that got, you're going to function out of pride or humility. What's your motivation for everything that you do? Is it pride or humility? So we got to be evaluating ourselves. Now, let me uh, share some good news. You ready for some good news? <laughs> um, there's a very real enemy who wants to take you down and take you out. Um, but the good news is that there is a very real God who wants to help you. Now, we've got a couple things going for us. You ready for this? Hebrews 4 tells me that, that uh, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So he sympathizes with us. I think sometimes we feel like God's kind of arms folded, kind of that, that look out of the corner of his eyes just waiting for us to mess up. It's not true. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands that. He was tempted. In fact, he was tempted in a face-to-face conflict with the enemy. So I think he knows something about it. Now, not only that, Romans 8 tells me that, that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, by the way, that word paraclete, like it's, a, it's Roman military terminology of two sh- soldiers who would fight um, by being back-to-back. In other words, they kind of got each other's back, so to speak. And so it's this wonderful imagery. The Holy Spirit has your back. Now, how does he do that? Well, the Bible says that he is interceding for you with groans that cannot be uttered. Now, before you woke up this morning, long after you go to bed tonight, Holy Spirit was interceding for you, was praying for you in accordance with the will of God. Whew! That will change the way that you wake up and go to sleep. I'll put a little skip in your step, like, okay. So I've got a high priest over here. I've got a paraclete, a counselor, a comforter, a helper who's got my back. And you know what? Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 13, is worth writing down and going back to, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You need to claim that promise. Let's stop throwing pity parties. Let's take some responsibility and let's accept the fact that he's not going to let us be tempted beyond what we can handle. And then even when we're in those extremely tempting situations, he's going to provide a way out. Now, is it sometimes really hard to find that way out? Yeah. Is it sometimes the door that's very difficult for us to open and walk through? But you know what? He's going to provide a way out. And Romans 8 tells me that we are more than conquerors in Christ. So let's quit making excuses. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We can do this thing. We can't in ourselves, but God in us can do this thing. We are new creations. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Wow. And that gives us the power we need to walk in purity, to walk in holiness, not to earn some kind of salvation, not to earn some badge, but in honor of the one who went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be set free and forgiven, in honor of the one who himself said no to those temptations but lived a sinless life, in honor of him, our Lord and Savior, then we walk in purity because of what he's done for us. 
Now, let me drill down a little bit further because we're going to go back to the beginning of 1 Peter 5, and here's where it gets very practical, and we'll keep it pretty short. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And then it says, not lording it over them. And then it, and then it goes on, and there's this beautiful description, then it kind of flips the coin, and it talks about uh, then... Uh, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to elders, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, can I just make an observation? I think that you can tell a lot about a person who's young by how they treat those who are old. Now, I think you can tell a lot about a person who is old by how they treat someone who's young. Bible's so practical it's like, all right, elders, you're in a position of authority, but don't you go lording it over. In other words, don't function out of a spirit of pride, but serve and love. And then those of you who are younger, like don't just, like, don't just disregard those who have been around the sun a few more times. Like, Learn to respect some of their wisdom. Learn to stand on their shoulders. And, and, and I just know that like, when someone who is is an adult kind of reaches out, engages my kids in conversation, treats them like they're real people. I like that person. It also tells me something about their character. And then those who are young, who understand the importance of just simple respect. And I, I just think this is something that, I, mean, I don't know that the church is real good at it, I don't think our culture is very good at it either. But if we could somehow just learn to put some of this into practice, wow, be a game changer. Now, then it says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I like this imagery. Um, all of us get dressed every day, right? Sure hope so. <laughs> um, and uh, how many pick out an outfit the night before? Let me see your hands. Any? How many put it on the night before? Um, how many of you that morning, it's just kind of you're led by the Spirit and however you're prompted, like, you know, how many of you actually check the weather and then, like, and then you're making your outfit choices? Um, I'll stop there. But all of us, there's an intentionality with which we get clothed. We clothe ourselves. Now it becomes kind of second nature, but I, I, I love this because it's an act of intention. What are you going to clothe yourself with? The Bible says, clothe yourself with humility. In other words, put humility on. Now, I think that there are two dimensions to this. I think it's a posture towards others, and it's a posture towards life, the the spirit of humility. So um, short and sweet. In terms of a posture towards other, I'm just going to share one thing. It, I don't know that I've ever even shared this in 15 years, but it's, it's a motto, mantra. It's something that's part of my operating system. When I was a senior in college, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, great book. And, and there was one thing I, I never forgot. I think it was Benjamin Franklin, but, but whether it was Benjamin or not, um, it was one of those guys. Um, he said, uh, everyone is my 
uh, superior in some way, and that I learn of them. And so what I've done in my life is determined that I'm going to approach everybody, even the people that I don't necessarily get along with or like somebody, even the people that it's, it's an effort to respect them, they're my superior in some way. Something they know, I, I don't. There's some experience I can glean from them. There's something. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a humble posture towards them and try to learn from them. And I think it's also a posture towards life. And, and I've made a determination, and this has helped me through some tough times. This has helped me through some of the failures. This has helped me through some of the things that, oh, man, I wish I wasn't going through this. But here's how I approach everything as a learning opportunity. And when you approach everything as an opportunity to learn, then that means God can redeem it. Well, I don't like it, but man, I'm learning a valuable lesson right now. And, and it's taking this learning posture towards life. See, this is where pride gets in the way. Like pride doesn't allow us to try new things because you might fail. Pride doesn't allow you to experience new things because, man, what if I look foolish or silly because I've never done it before? Um, now, one of our family values is uh, humility. Uh, humility, generosity, gratitude, and courage are four values that we've chosen that we want to embody as a family. And I was so proud of my little girl, Summer Joy. Um, she just started her freshman year at St. John's. And dad was pretty scared. And wow, it's so good for your prayer life, though. <laughs> Went to her first dance. And I gave her brother Parker, the sophomore, a little lecture. Better look out for that little girl. <laughs> um, and uh, she's never played a day of volleyball in her life and decided to try out for the team. I was so proud of her for doing that. Because you ever done something you've never done? Like, you usually feel a little foolish doing that. Like, you don't often feel, oh, I love things that I'm really bad at. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but, 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 but is there anything you did for the first time that you were good at? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, cause then none of us would be walking, right? Cause you ain't, weren't very good at it. You look like a drunk sailor the first time you walked, but you kind of kept at it and you learned it. Now you're pretty good at it, you know? And so, do you see the connection between humility and trying out for a volleyball team? Now, the truth is, all the kids were together, including the seniors who had played for four years, including club volleyball. And so she came home from the first two days and was just so overwhelmed and honestly contemplated quitting. And I was up through the night because I was out at Yosemite. I, wasn't even, I was hiking Half Dome, but I couldn't even sleep that night because I was praying, I was interceding. Um, for my daughter, because I, I know that little things like that can be kind of defining moments. I didn't, I didn't want her to give up on it. Like I didn't want her to get hit with a spike every other play, you know, and, but, but, um, but she, she went back, she stuck with it and she loves it. She loves it. And, and, but I, I just, what I love about that, it's okay. I think she's starting to get it. That, that I want to continue to put myself in places where I look absolutely foolish because I'm continuing to learn. I don't have time to talk about this a lot, but it's one reason why we love starting coffee houses or movie houses or doing new things because I found that the best place to live, the best place to learn and grow is right at the bottom of a learning curve. See, we, we want to be up here. We want that expertise where we never have to look foolish or never have to do something that we don't know exactly how to do it. But I've found, like, I'm going to live my life right down here. 
I'm going to live right down here because I want to be, I want to take a learning posture towards life. And it comes down to humility or pride. If you're operating out of pride, you will not allow yourselves to be in those situations where you can experience life and learn and grow and make mistakes, fall flat on your face, but figure out that there's a God who's going to get you right back up and through it, you're going to become a better person. I got to wrap this thing up. I have a mantra that uh, kind of been in my spirit for the last six months. Some of you have heard me share it, but uh, man, the Lord's been blessing us. Has he not? Unbelievable. I'm just, I'm so thrilled. And it's not just pieces of property or this or that. I mean, it's not just favor with community and with city. And I mean, I'm just thrilled about where we are spiritually. I just sense that we're at a really good place where, um, really an embodiment of what I'm about to share. Stay humble and stay hungry. Like, I just want to, I want to be in a place where I never get satisfied with where I'm at. Now, here's what I've learned. The blessings of God are blessings. But if you don't turn the blessing into praise, it will turn into pride. And so one of the most dangerous places to be is, is in a place where God is blessing you like crazy. Because if you don't immediately turn it into praise, it's going to turn into pride. And then what's going to happen? There's going to be a subtle shift in your life. And it's described right here in this passage, verse 5. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I call this the law of favor because it says favor. And, and here's what's remarkable to me. And, and this kind of comes more out of, you know, some traveling and speaking. And I talk to a lot of pastors and I'm in a lot of those different circles. And here, here's what I realized. And I, I share this candidly and I put myself in this circle that, you know what? Sometimes some of us are trying so hard to serve the Lord and, and he's called us to do it. We're doing the father's business and he's actually opposing what we're doing, even though he wants us to be doing it. But because we're doing it out of a spirit of pride, he can't bless it. He can't favor it. He can't, because he's not going to favor and bless pride. He can't. It's not in his nature. And so until we get pride uprooted out of our hearts, until we figure out that we don't know more than God, that we don't know better than God, until we really drill down at some of the motivations and acknowledge the fact. I've shared that... I, I believe that most of my reward in heaven to date has been forfeited because I've done it for the wrong reasons. I don't like saying it. I wish it wasn't true. I'm just being honest. You've got to dethrone the God of me. You've got to say, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for his glory. There's a fine line between thy kingdom come and my kingdom come. There's a fine line between wanting to make his name famous and wanting to be famous. I think part of the battle is just, can we just be honest about this? Can we just talk about this and say, I do not want to be in a place where God has to oppose me. Let me close with this. I'm going to flip the coin. We're going to end on a really positive note because here's what I believe. God wants to favor you. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. God wants to bless you. He wants to favor you. He wants to use you in ways 
He is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within you. But you've got to dethrone yourself. You've got to get out of the way. You've got to, you've got to die to self. You've got to crucify that pride and put yourself in a humble posture. And if you put yourself in a humble posture, oh, I'm putting my bet on you. That God's going to bless you. He's going to use you. He's going to do things that are beyond your imagination. Really, what this is all about is posture. That's what it's about. It's about posturing ourselves in a way that God can bless us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to assume what is a sacred posture. It's a wonderful posture. For three weeks, we're going to celebrate communion together. I'm going to tell you why, because I'm going to talk about some things that it's going to kind of you're not going to like thinking about it or talking about it. I mean, listen, I promise you, next, you, next week will be worse. <laughs> I promise you. You're not going to like it. But it's why I know that we need to assume this posture, and it's the posture of kneeling at the foot of the cross, and that's what communion is. So for three weeks, we're going to celebrate communion because I just feel like, okay, all right, we're going to talk candidly about this. We're going to figure out how do we win and this, this war against temptation. But let's make sure at the end of the day, let's go right back to the foot of the cross. Let's kneel there and let's receive the grace and the power and the forgiveness because that's the only place you're going to find it. Listen, you, you can't muster the willpower. You don't have enough self-control. I know you don't. And I know I don't. And so what I've got to do is I've got to keep going back. And you know what? It's at the foot of the cross that we slay that three-headed dragon. Let me pray, and then I want to invite our bands at all of our locations and our ushers to come, and uh, we're going to prepare to celebrate communion. Father, we come before you, and we humble our hearts, O God, and we acknowledge that there is pride in our hearts, and we confess it freely and openly to you. God, we invite you to come and forgive us. God, right now, we declare that you are seated on the throne of our lives, that our lives revolve around you. And so we pick ourselves up off of that throne. We get off of it. We walk down those stairs we put you right at the center in the place of authority, in the place of honor, in the place of worship. We bless you, O oh God. We bless you because you are worthy of our praise. God, I thank you for those right now for the first time are dethroning themselves saying, God, you, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my King. God, thank you. Thank you for those who in their hearts right now are putting you on the throne. God, all of us put you right there, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.